Good morning, everybody. This is WXOU Auburn Hills. College Radio from the campus of Oakland University. We are 88.3 FM, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning. Good morning. Buenas noches. Buenas tardes. Uh, One of them. Keep trying. Buenos dias. Yes. Good job. Um, and Happy New Year as well to everyone. And, um, well, we're back on the air. and Lo got to. What? Lo siento. Why are you sorry? Never mind. Um, so, yeah, things. Now that I've been completely and utterly uh, thrown off, uh, I'm, I'm rusty. That, that's, that's all we can say. But we're back on the air, back to live programming here on WXOU as uh, we're winding down uh, the school year break as well. But like I said, lots of things to talk about today. In fact, we won't get to quite everything, but uh, OU has had a pretty rough start to the men's basketball season. We got some Tigers things that we could talk about, certainly some football things as well. Um, I don't know. I don't see Michigan up here in their fine performance. Um, I, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about that or not, or if we're just going to... Only if forced. Okay, fair enough. So Physical. lots lots and lots of things to get to on this Saturday morning. So we'll see what we can... Uh, Cram in here. I think Jerry Judy's still running. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Joe Borrow, hey. (laughs) Another one. So, uh, speaking of not the best performances ever, uh, OU had a very rough time against Wright State last night. You know, I I fell asleep fairly early because I'm old. And uh, so, when I fell asleep, it was 18 to 17 Wright State. And then I woke up this morning, and it was a lot more than <laughs> 96 to 69 was the score last night. Now, Wright State is really, really good. They're Randy. the class of the conference, I think. Yeah. Uh, on paper, they're far better than, I think, anyone in the league. Uh, they've got, like, a pretty solid eight to nine-man nine, nine rotation. They've got, like, six, seven guys that score in double figures for the season. You know, it, it was, it was. I'm not surprised. I think what what did surprise me is how how the lack of competition, the lack of competitiveness, and just Oakland has been very competitive even against the better teams in the league for as long as they've been in the league. And it's just it's it's unfortunate to see them in a place where they're non-competitive. But it goes back to what we talked about it in the last show, right? Where any sort of momentum that they're going to be able to get is probably going to get stymied because of the lack of the backcourt. Javon Coverland not being here. Uh, and, you know, I was just looking at his minutes at Cincinnati, and, and they've actually gone down as the season has gone down. And, and, you know, it's a perfect example of young people not necessarily making the best decisions, and it hurts the program that they're leaving, and it hurts them as, as players, right? Um, because in the end, it's all about playing time. But going back, because of that, because you can't shoot the three-point, which is very evident, uh, you, this team is going to have to just keep on grinding and get the wings that they can get, and uh, that's that. Yeah, I, I agree on uh, on Cumberland and Norris. I think I, I agree completely. I think it's unfortunate for for them and for us. And there was nothing really Campy could do. <clears throat> you know, the the transfer the transfer craze is what it is. And for a small school like Oakland, you're very very seldom going to be able to bounce back from losing two starters. And and you know what the shame <clears throat> is is that they have 
a lineup on the front court that is, is probably as good as it's right there. It's it, yeah. you know, but very competitive. And you know, you saw it in the UDM game, right? I mean, they, they, they had a great size advantage. They did a really nice job of 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 you know really executing in that particular game because they had that size advantage against University of Detroit. And then they turn around and and again. Be, Again, it's the theme, because you don't have a backcourt, you're going to struggle against good teams, period. Yep. You know, what's interesting, though, is Oakland did play uh, Syracuse pretty tough. And I realize that Syracuse is not, you know, quite the same team it has been uh, in the past. But they did hang with them for pretty much the entire game. And, you know, Brechting had a really good game uh, that day. And I, I thought that was interesting. And, and I guess for me, I it gave me some kind of hope that, they were going to do a better job than what we saw yesterday. Yeah, I think to one of Adam's points, we talked about this on the last show, they just can't shoot. They can't shoot the three. And in college basketball mm-hmm. and professional basketball, that's pretty much a death knell. And so I do think that they will be able to grind out some good wins this year, depending on who they get matched up in the conference tournament. Is a game or two on the table that they can win? I think so. Co- but, you know, against the right state, it's going to be ugly. No, and on, on the broadcast last night, I mentioned more than once that I can't be told the guys broadcasting the game that if if this gets into the upper 70s and 80s, we have not played well. The, 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 it will not turn out mm-hmm. well. He knows they have to grind out games this year, which I think is probably beyond painful to a guy like Greg Campy who is – for well over 30 years, he lived and died by the three-point shot, right? right. For, from the time that he probably started coaching where they literally put down the three-point line to now, he has, that's what he lived and died by. And now this is a totally different roster and a different yep. makeup, and, and it's really counter to how he likes to be able to execute. For sure. It's it's always been the run and gun. and Yeah. Uh, and that uh, that is not working right now. And and who knows how this Northern Kentucky game is going to work out? They they They're lost shaky. They lost against <clears throat> UDM. Um, are they going to come in angry? Is it going to be a bad omen for the you know uh, Oakland? I, I maybe they they dropped some bad games this year. If you look at Northern Kentucky's schedule this year, they've dropped some ugly games against some pretty poor teams. And it, so who knows? I mean. And, and, and to that point, uh, I'm at the same time, regardless of what happened last night, as ugly as that was, and to your point, Brandon, about this, them being right state being the class of the conference, I'm, I'm still what a little bit hesitant, especially as good as they played against University of Detroit last weekend, to really say, hey, this is some sort of omen for the rest of the season. That's fair. So just uh, I wanted to pull up real quick um, shooting percentages because I hadn't looked at season totals, but field goal is 42%, which is not not good. Are they shooting 30% from the three? They are not. Yeah, you're just not going to win. Right, 27%. And then uh, 68% free throws, too. I mean, it's just you're not going to win many games that way. And, you know, the only, yeah, that's just not going to happen. So... Oladapo and Hill Mays are the only ones who are putting up decent uh, field goal percentage numbers, uh, you know, obviously being front court, although they they shoot free throws in uh, very Andre Drummond territory. Actually, that that's a little harsh, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, at the but, end of the day, I think the thing that... It's just an opportunity missed because I feel like with Norris and Cumberland, 
this is a team that's better on paper than oh, Wright State. For sure. For sure. It's it's a very different team. And what will be interesting is is after, say, a few years, maybe five, of this transfer portal, will we start seeing things start to even it's out? It's going to have to. It's insane. I mean... I mean, it's one of the primary reasons why John Beeline left Michigan because yeah. he was just sick of it, mm-hmm. and and, that, and he was a guy in a, at a school that could capitalize and could for sure could 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 engage in a way that was beneficial. But he's like, this is just dumb, right? Because you can't scout for teams, you know, year over year. You don't know what to expect. It's just a lottery. A- absolutely, and what I think, hopefully, the word of mouth will start also playing is obviously teams are going to go out the, the really good ones, and it could be the Michigans or what have you are going to say. Wow, we'd love to have a Cumberland as our eighth or ninth guy. Right. And at some point the the players are gonna start realizing and their and their, you know, uh parents and families and whatever are gonna start realizing, yeah, you could go come off the bench three out of every four games and play ten minutes, or you can be a starter here. Which right. one do you really want to be? So it'll be interesting to see. With that said, um, I don't know if you guys want to stick in the world of college sports and talk a little bit about uh, the bowl games. If we're going to just skip right past that whole Michigan, uh, uh, Alabama fun stuff. Um, Do you want to talk about the bowl games at all? A little Clemson LSU or anything else? Well, Monday will be the big one, right? I mean, it'll be, you know, I, I, and and when you go back, I mean, I, you know, LSU was just unbelievable in that Oklahoma, uh, in that game against Oklahoma. I mean, they just kept on pouring it on. Seven touchdowns in the first half. And I, I, I do, it's kind of funny. I keep on thinking, well, the, wouldn't they impact Lincoln Riley's status? Because, I mean, that's, that's a really bad performance. You, But it seems like Lincoln Riley is still getting a lot of talk uh, within the uh, NFL circles. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, especially then you go on to the next game and, you know, there's a good number of people that think uh, that the uh, Ohio State uh, Clemson game was uh, a little bit tarnished, if you will, by refereeing, uh, officiating, if, uh, if you will, um, which and, and at this point it's done and over with. It's not like Clemson is, a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, you know, whatever in the can. Uh, the, the, they're a perennial power. Oh yeah, they're right? good, and 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 they're they're very good on multiple levels, especially tra- Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, and that defense can come up with some really big plays like they have in the past. When you look at Monday night, obviously to me, it's Joe Burrow trying to figure out defensively what Clemson is doing, and then on the LSU side, where I don't think LSU's defense has been really put into spots where they've really had to step up this More or less, year. Yeah. And so the question will be, what are they going to do to contain a Trevor Lawrence who at many times this year has looked almost bored uh, and almost to why maybe they're not, they weren't number one just based on the 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 lack of enthusiasm. Well, that and their schedule is garbage. You know, and it allows, I continually discount Clemson. I have for years. But when they get into these big games, they play well. And you can't take it away from that they've knocked off Alabama twice uh, in these games. And so, you know, my gut instinct has been in years past to just say that LSU is going to roll them. But between Trevor Lawrence and that defense, I think they find a way to keep it close. You know, I think the bigger win for the, you know, the playoff is that you had, in my opinion, three championship caliber teams that they actually got in. You know, and, and it's no knock on Oklahoma, but, you know, they didn't show up. 
Um, but Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU all seemed very deserving. I, OSU, uh, I think, acquitted themselves well in that game, you know, the refereeing being what it was. Um, and so, you know, I think it was it, – it they were, again, aside from the, the fact that it was a blowout, I enjoyed the games. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I have not always in years past felt like they've got four, four or three or four championship caliber teams in there, so – no, you're absolutely correct, and that's where, I mean, even the idea of going to eight teams just absolutely makes me cringe, because no, yeah. you're basically, you, you're absolutely watering down totally. something, something that, I mean, to I mean, me is almost obvious. Baylor about and Georgia, no, come on, get out of here, Baylor, mm-hmm. Georgia, Oregon, Wisconsin, they're not, they were not championship caliber teams. No. I have no business playing LSU. No. Or Clemson. No. And again, the bowl season, nothing but endless games with sponsors that I don't know anything about going on for four and a half hours of college football game, which I really don't have time for. So I have to go to bed. And, uh, of course, uh, I did have a Facebook post where I just I can't take the the, the, the play-by-play people either. So Yeah. Which one in particular? Chris uh, Fowler. Yeah, he's not great. He should stay in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> you like know, what I spent 150 words doing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, you know, yesterday was the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Oh, my. Um, you know, we've got the Lending Tree Bowl coming up uh, this Monday. Um, you know, that's going to be, I'm sure, exciting. The uh, We have the, the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, the Ticketmaster Birmingham Bowl. There's a lot of fees. There are a lot of fees if you're going to, uh, you know. At least the Rose Bowl is just the Rose Bowl presented by... The Rose Bowl? North, uh, California, North, the Rose Bowl Parade, Mutual. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rose Bowl Parade, the All-State Sugar Bowl. Oh, I see Wyoming, Georgia State. Mm. One, 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 <laughs> one comment before we leave uh, college sports as a whole. I thought it was very interesting this weekend, and I, you know, basically, I think there's a lot of cleaning up of football uh, locally and nationally. Uh, but something that uh, I think would have gotten a lot more attention at the beginning of the season, uh, how Michigan basketball played and how Michigan State, again, the expectations were very high. They face off tomorrow. It's the first game that Jawan Howard will be the head coach of Michigan in a, um, I think, a, nothing wrong with saying it's an interstate rivalry, right? Oh, totally. So, uh, uh, and and I'm I'm uh, curious uh, to, for me going into that game. I am very curious about uh, a lot of factors. One, how, you know, is it going to be a, a good, you know, respectful game, or is it going to be chippy? Uh, is it how is uh, you know Juwan Howard and his staff going to be able to prepare for Tom Izzo and and a Michigan State team that had very again high expectations going into the season and what looks to be maybe not necessarily great uh, execution thus far, but the Big Ten season is underway and he does build his team for the Big That's Ten right. and they looked pretty good the other they night. They did against Illinois, yeah. Um, uh, and 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 you know, guys, I, I'm. I have to tell you, I'm a little surprised by the lack of talk about this game, uh, but maybe it's just uh, it's a really bad timing. Yeah, I think game. it's I think it's bad timing. I think there's a lot of unknowns. Um, I actually think they're fairly well matched. They're fairly evenly matched. I think people really, really, and I said this at the beginning of the year, really discounted Michigan and how much depth they had, and did just did not recognize the fact they were bringing back three, basically three seniors. Um, and you, you just can't replicate that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – I hate to be this reductionist about the game, but if, if Michigan can hit threes, they're going to win. If Michigan can't hit threes, they're going to lose because I actually think that Michigan on paper has more talent than Michigan State uh, with a guy like Langford Hurt, um, which I think has really, really kind of 
killed what I think was going to be a juggernaut. Right. And then losing that kind of consistent mid-range shooter has kind of really thrown a wrench in Tom Izzo's plans. So can uh, can Wagner and uh, and Livers, and if he's if he's going to play, and those right. guys, can they hit threes? If they can, I think they'll win. Right. Even on the road. Yep. Because I, I just don't I don't think Michigan State has the depth. That'll be a good one to talk about uh, whenever we Definitely. do whenever we do our next show and and you know what direction things are going. So, yeah. That'll definitely be uh, the case. So uh, this segment brought to you by the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. UCF Marshall. Oh, wish I would have DVR'd that. <laughs> anyway, moving right along <laughs> and sticking around in the world of football. Um, the Lions. We got it figured out. Pass Colonia's out the door. Here we go. I mean, now it's now is, it's all solved. Is he? Yeah. He's oh, stepping uh, away. Oh, is he? Okay, yeah, yeah no, I'd saw, he's, I had saw. I he's had, made that tough decision. I had seen that he had been, or that uh, they had fired a handful of assistant yeah, coaches like, of the strength like and thirty or forty guys. of them, yeah. <laughs> and then, but but yeah, Pascalini was still there. He, oh, he he's stepping take, away. He's taking some time for his fam- to be with family. To be with family, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, Matt, Matty P did what he could. You know, he's uh-huh. like, so I put all these other guys on the road. The bus is currently backing over them. <laughs> right. I'm a defensive mastermind, but I don't know how to hire any of my defensive coaches. Um, right. So, so Paul, what I'm going to need you to do is either get with those guys under the bus, right, or you can just step away. <laughs> I'll step away. Indeed. <laughs> So what I mean, after two years of Matt Patricia um, and a cleansing of most of his staff mm-hmm. um, and and, you know, he's had two special teams coordinators in two years. Offensive uh, line coaches. Yeah. I, what? How, how can you evaluate it's, after yeah. one year? And what does that say about you as the the manager of that program? If you've got to turn over your managers, you know the, the people you manage um, every year. I mean, so, that, that that's yeah, really. I'll, I'll do. I'll, let me do this. So, I, you obviously, I'm not a fan. I'm pretty clear on that. Not a fan. But I'm actually going to go back to an argument Adam made uh, uh, has made a couple of times in kind of defense. Not, I guess, not in defense of the Lions. I guess more in kind of prosecution of the Lions, which is that it to me, this kind of cleansing is totally pointless. It's totally right. and utterly pointless. If you're sticking with Quinn and Patricia, then hang on to your staff for the most part if you need to make one or two adjustments. But stick to your guns because who is going to come? What up-and-coming coach is going to come here? None. He is probably in the top two or three guys on the hot seat going into next year. No question. They are coming off a three-win season. What? Guy, well, who's going to want to come here and coach for a year? And this guy's going to get broomed next year in all likelihood? Like, no, stick with your guns. Stick with the staff. Stick with the people you brought in. And 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 take one more one more shot at this. You know, I think it's a lack of fortitude on the Lions' part. So I did a poor job of researching because I, I, I had heard that point before. And I, I actually would, would kind of fight that point a little bit from the standpoint that I think that unless you go to New England, New Orleans, uh, and a handful of other teams that have had their coaches, Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore, your risk of, of being brushed away, whether it be one or two years, is very high to begin with. And I'll agree with you on that front, mm-hmm. but if, 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 you're weigh, if you're weighing your options, right. I mean, this can't possibly seem like a good option. I mean, the Lions are going to fill these spots. There are guys who want oh, these jobs. Right. There's right. no doubt about that. Right. However, 
what's the the caliber of these guys going to be? And and again, I'm I'm they got very lucky with Bevel. Mm-hmm. He'd been out of he'd been out of the NFL for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I just I I'm 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 trying to look at it again from a from a managerial standpoint as uh, you know, it, to take the football out of it. But if if you're if you're if you have a staff of people, like how can you evaluate them after one season? And and so, uh, or, who, or two who, even. Who who are we? Okay, so okay, you're you're and I guess that's why I get confused about when I hear one year. I guess I mean I, I think special teams coach. If I'm not mistaken, this will be their third. It is their third and third years and a couple other. So, so let me let me introduce another idea. So Jeff Davidson, he goes away. And in oh, Paul Pasqualoni has gone away. Mm-hmm. Now we have been in this uh, studio quite a bit, and one of the topics that have come up is data analytics. Data analytics is something that we keep on driving toward. For sure. We don't really hear a lot about it in the NFL, though John Harbaugh is one of the people that is really driving toward that. And data analytics, and there were some things that got brought up this week that the data analytics of the offensive line of the uh, of this team. Uh, of the Detroit Lions is terrible. It's mm-hmm. absolutely awful. Now, yeah. mind you, I don't think you needed to be a data analytics person to to <laughs> do that, but it was very clear that that it, whether by eye or data analytics, it was terrible. Yes. The also, of course, you didn't need to be a data analytics person to know that this defense was terrible, right? But th- those are the things that are are, are driving those decisions so yeah but i mean it's it to me it misses the point why i don't think they have a very good coach okay i mean i, I think like but but let me ask okay let, let me he can't let me go seem back to, to coach you. himself and he can't seem to hire anyone to coach and he can't seem to win like i mean what does it say about you as the leader that you have to broom i mean this is a team that won nine games two years in a row before they took over they, yeah. they, they haven't won nine games combined the last two years I, I'm just uh, like as Bob Quinn, you're gonna sit down with Patricia and be like, "All right, let's just go broom a whole bunch of coaches. That should that should solve the problem." But again, we we see lots of different coaches doing that, right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I can't typically before see. they get fired themselves. Yes, and, and, I mean, that's and, and that's where I go. I I we're we're I, I think one challenge when we're in Detroit is we really the, that that focus is on the Detroit Lions, the Detroit whatever team it is. And in all actuality, this stuff happens all over. The, I mean, there were coordinators fired all over the place. Oh, in, for sure. In, I in, don't in, disagree. In, in, in the league. And I think, again, it's more of a league problem, and it's not a Detroit Lions problem. And I guess that's the general point I'm making. And I, I, I will say this. In general, I, you know, because in the end, Brandon, would, would I be wrong to say that you believe that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia should be fired? No, I, I just, okay. I, I, I don't. I understand giving them another year. I get it. It's mm-hmm. logical. It makes sense. Go for it. I just and I don't know what'll happen to Quinn, but I don't think Patricia will have a job by the middle of next season. I just to me, if you're going to do that, I just don't. All this, you know, musical chairs just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to I me mean, unless you truly feel like what, what like the Pascaloni thing to me is just so pointless. Like he's been in the league forever, Patricia. This is your defense, anyways. Mm-hmm. Like what, who, who are you going to go get? You're still going to be calling the plays next year, right? That's why we went out and got you, right? Because you were the mastermind of the New England scheme, I guess. 
I don't know, and I, you know, I, I heard someone just say to me last weekend, and we were sitting there watching the games, and someone told me, well, you know, if you really think about it, you know, that defense wasn't in New England wasn't as good, it is better now that they lost, and that's because, uh, you know, um, when Patricia, he called the plays the winner there, and then Flores, he had a little less influence, but then he went to Miami, and then now all of a sudden, whoever's in there now today, Belichick is absolutely calling the yeah, play. Yeah, totally, yeah. But I, I don't, you know, to me is that, I I, I don't know how anyone knows that for sure, I, I guess. That's that's the thing. That, that he's is, calling, the Belichick's calling the plays? Yes. Well, I think, I, I mean, it's been kind of discussed on the broadcast that he is taking, like, a very active role in play calling this year on the oh, defensive okay. side. Okay, I haven't I, heard a whole lot about that. I that's mean, where I, I, I'm actually not saying, I actually do think that Patricia was calling the plays when he was there because he was fairly well established with Belichick. I think right. Belichick had a lot of trust in him. Right. And so I actually, I'm not saying that he wasn't calling the plays in New England. Mm. Just saying that whatever whatever was working there, I don't know if it was talent or, or the scheme or having Belichick over his shoulder, like it has not transferred over. And not only is it not transferred over, the Lions defense is, you know, among the statistically worst over the last two seasons. That's just not good for I'm, someone that's billed as a defensive genius. And in the end, I'm curious about what who exactly they go out. And I think, yeah, there's two schools of thought. One with has about 95% support, which is he's going to go out, and whoever he brings in is going to be simply a mouthpiece for him on that. Saying that, and, and again, I know he's not an offensive coach, but the point being is that he went way out of the box last year and got went out and got Daryl Bevel. And I think we can all agree. It was a pretty serviceable, good, whatever positive adjective you want to use. I'm curious about what what, what I, he I'm does curious. Yeah, I'm curious too. I just don't, it just seems pointless. So one of the things that was commented on in the press conference was, you know, because the, the Lions fired their tight end coach and they didn't get... Um, enough production out of the tight ends. Is that the tight end coach's fault? I mean, you had James, who is a, a an established veteran, proven to be a very solid pass receiver. Uh, and you went out and you drafted a tight end at whatever, was it eight or ten Nine. or whatever? Yeah. Eight. Yeah. And, and is that the tight end? Co- and the, who kept getting hurt? Is that the tight end coach's fault? Or is that something yeah. about the offensive scheme? Yeah, I don't know, and that's and that's the the difficulty, and I think this gets to Adam's point a little bit. Thus, black box where you just don't understand some of the goings on behind, you know, how an NFL team is coached and managed. All right. all I know is that they can't seem to win any games. And that so, is that is ultimately they are winning less games now than they were winning with Jim Caldwell. It, it's just strange to me because when I look at the NFL as a whole, as much money as they bring in. I can't imagine a bigger collection of bad business owners. You yeah, know, fair. I look at Cleveland and yeah. and, and, and them bringing in Freddie Kitchens. And I mean, I'm no rocket scientist, but boy, immediately when Freddie Kitchens started opening his mouth, I'm like, what did they see in him? Yeah. And it's the same thing. And I, I had, had Clay Flame been able to call in today, I would have loved to have known where are people in Dallas at this point with Jerry Jones yeah. while they're in like day four of deliberations talking about Jason Garrett. Yeah, a guy who can't win a game. Jason game. Garrett who had, you know, and, and I'll say this about Matt Patricia. We, we can talk about, you know, a lot of the nuances that we've brought up, but I will tell you this. I never felt outside of the minute in the home game against Minnesota that they, that this team ever didn't 
put in the you know throw the towel you know Agreed. and I I, yes. I I will say that when I watched this Jason Garrett team led team down the stretch they had thrown in the towel yeah. on several games when they didn't look competitive and they just looked lost yeah a lot of parallels between Michigan football and the Dallas Cowboys mm-hmm. my God. And, you know, on the last show, we talked about Jim Harbaugh and where he might go, and you mentioned Dallas. And, of course, I read an article today or late yesterday talking about Jim Harbaugh, and he might, in fact, be on that very short list of, of which, of course, Jerry Jones and Jim Harbaugh oh in the same building would be enough to make my head spin at least twice as much as it usually does. I guess that when it comes to the NFL, I, I just, I don't, there's so many awful organizations at this point where I, I don't know it, 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 it's painful it is it, it, it could pay, some of this offseason stuff is a painful yeah I think watch. the Browns and the Lions being probably the two most painful just f- absolute futility just the Browns are just a, a, just a disaster and it's in a very different way than the Lions but just nevertheless okay. mm-hmm. the Freddie Kitchens thing I could not agree more I had no idea why they hired that guy you know down the stretch, him and Greg Williams, you know, they managed to win a couple of like, throwaway games down the stretch last year, and all of a sudden you're, you're now trying to, you have an opportunity to actually bring in a good head coach with a lot, a team with a lot of talent. You choose, you know, a first-time OC who managed to win some garbage time games down. Like, oh come on, it's ugly, it's ugly. Do you want to before we wrap up football here? Uh, do you want to talk about the Patriots at all and uh, where they are at, uh, and Tom Brady and. Uh... Well, I'll tell you, I, I mean, looking at the optics, I mean, I, I look at Tom Brady, um, and, I mean, they they got beat at home against Miami last week on a game they absolutely had to win. It, it really is, a, and, and you could tell by the sideline, it was very frustrating. They don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and I think there's a, a, this expectation that they're just going to be able to switch it on like a light switch, and even a dimmer, a light switch, just on and off. I, I don't see it. I mean, again, if it does, am I going to be shocked? No. I mean, but. Boy, it does not look good, guys, for for New England. And I'll bring up another team after we got that that doesn't look good um, at this point, especially because of their quarterback play. And that's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Uh Yeah, I you know on the Patriots, I think one thing that they have done so so well during their this dynasty is they've figured out how to make clutch personnel moves down the stretch of the season. And everything they've tried on the offensive side of the football from a personnel standpoint has not worked out. Josh Gordon didn't work out. Antonio Brown fizzled out. They just they don't have any weapons on offense. And I and again, Brady is is diminished, no question. But if he had more weapons, he would be performing better. They've got nothing. Yeah. Julian Edelman, he's a great player, but you know, he's just a little guy. He's out there all by himself, like and- and I'm got no cu- help. I'm curious. Of course, you know, no Gron- no Gronkowski. That that's definitely impactful. And I think in general, when you have, and this is something we've talked about with Michigan football, no speed. There's yeah, no no nothing. speed on, and and when you don't have Antonio Brown, you don't have Josh, you know, Gordon, uh, two guys that they really thought were going to be answers, and 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 Mohammed Kanu is maybe their, you know, next choice. Um, Yikes! And and I and and that defense has been so fantastic 
that it, it, uh, it has really, unfortunately, maybe not gotten the credit. And even tomorrow, uh, they'll play, uh, they'll host Tennessee. Oh, I'm sorry, tonight they'll host Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Bill Belichick has not fared very well against former protégés of his either, mm. uh, including that Robert Flores game uh, with Miami. So you wonder whether or not the Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry story will Maybe. prevail on to another Yeah, week. you know, I, I actually do like New England mm. in the game tonight. Um, you know, Tannehill, he has a, a tendency to, you know, blow his foot off regularly. Um, I could see a pick six or two in his future. I, um, I, you know, I, I again, I actually think that they'll manage to – they may even manage to meander their way into like the the AFC Championship game. I don't know. Um, you know, his teams have in the past played possum. You know, a game like Miami is like the perfect setup. Then then they just come storming out with some other scheme or whatever. But I, I think at the end of the day, the personnel is not there in the way that it's been, and that'll that'll ultimately be there. They're, you're just not going to be able to beat like the Chiefs or one of those teams with the, the personnel struggles on offense. And and I think the challenge for them is that if they win, they do go play the Chiefs in the next yeah. round, right? So that's where I don't really... They I barely mean, escaped the Chiefs last year with right. a far better team. Right, right. So I think uh, the other game today, Buffalo-Houston, Buffalo, uh, they've done... Actually, I would expect them to possibly pull the upset off in that particular They're game. They're gritty. Um, they are very gritty. Uh, they're very... Uh, uh, McDermott is their uh, coach. Devin Singletary's been very effective at the running back position. Uh, Josh Allen. Josh he, gets Allen. First, he gets first downs. I don't and, know how, but and, he does. Uh, um, and, of course, Houston, they seem to fizzle all down the stretch yeah. there. And uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Tomorrow, uh, the game, oddly enough, both AFC games today, both NFC games tomorrow, typically not the case. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota at New Orleans. Uh, Minnesota is really hampered with injuries right now and also just a lot of questions swirling around with Mike Zimmer and their uh, head coaching situation uh, and uh, lackluster seems to be the explanation of a guy named Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. uh, there so we'll have to see how that goes. Going up against New Orleans who I believe wouldn't be surprising for them to come from the wild card round all the way to the oh, Super totally, Bowl. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I think we all expect New Orleans to be uh, uh, um, the winner. And the other team, the, the other team, I really think, oh my gosh, no one wants to play in the playoffs because Carson Wentz just gets the job done. And Phil, uh, me, Seattle has just been very benign, you know, at home, and they're on the road today. I, uh, I when Justin and I were talking about this the other night about Philly. Look out. I mean, it just does. It doesn't matter anymore. The regular season does not matter anymore, and they've got a lot of talent on that team, and they got a lot of guys who've been in a lot of big games. And they, I could again, again, another team that you could see just kind of sneaking into a championship mm-hmm. game, you know, an NFC championship game. And then, you know, again, I don't know that they got quite enough this year, but I could very easily see it. Now, the matchups in the NFC, if, uh, you know, New Orleans and, and uh, Philadelphia both win, as expected, then we're looking at a New Orleans-Green Bay game and a San Francisco-Eagles game. Um, uh, as I said before, I don't like the look of Green Bay and the way they, they're playing. I mean, they had a must-win mm-hmm. game last week at Detroit with Detroit basically with, almost, I mean, five or six guys from their practice squad, mm-hmm. you know, on the field for considerable time. Uh, and they were barely able to escape that. Uh, and then, of course, San Francisco, they've been playing unbelievable football 
all year, but you wonder whether or not getting into the playoffs, not being accustomed to the role per se, uh, you know, uh, not shocking the world, but they're in that number one role where exactly will happen, especially if they face off against a very gritty Eagles team. Yeah, so. and I think that's really, and I think that is kind of the scenario. I think one of two things is going to happen. San Francisco is going to roll their way to the Super Bowl, or they're going to get popped by Philly, you know, and just not be able to step up. Right. You know, I, I don't I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of in-between for San Francisco. I just feel like they're going to be the team we think they've been and just roll through the NFC, especially with Green Bay shaky and New Orleans having to play so many games, or they're going to get popped in that second round by Seattle or Philly, frankly. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, going back to New England, we already kind of, excuse me, AFC, we've already alluded to that. Of course, number one seed, Baltimore, uh, they would probably face the winner of, you know, between uh, Buffalo uh, or uh, Houston, if in fact New England does prevail uh, against Tennessee, so yeah. Tennessee could go up against Baltimore, or it would be the winner of Houston, Buffalo. I tend to believe that regardless of who they face, they would probably go and, and move on. Of course, mm. that opinion won't age well if my money back. Comes yeah, we'll see. Too. You know, I think um, I actually think that the Bills would be scary for for Baltimore. I think that would be a scary game for them, but I, th- I, th- I think they would handle business against anybody else. Again, but I, again, I don't see them beating the Chiefs. The, I think Baltimore and, and the Chiefs handled them pretty well in the regular season. I think. I, I I'd be curious about how that game plays out because I think that Baltimore's defense, for all the talk about the offense that took place this year, the defense actually was it was as solid as any defense. It's, out it's there. a good defense. They struggle with speed though, and yeah. this is where the Chiefs having Tyreek Hill and Robinson and Hardman. I watched almost the entirety of the Chiefs-Ravens game, um, and the Chiefs slot guys were just flying past the the DBs of the Ravens. No, that was way earlier in the season, right? About October, like end of well, Yeah, September, maybe like maybe. week eight, eight, eight or nine, yeah. Oh, I think it was like, um, about week four, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Was it really? So, uh, I think it was the same day as the Philadelphia-Detroit uh, game. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I just remember where I was watching that game. So I I, I don't know. I, you, in the end, I tend to agree with, you know, how both of these teams have aged, if you will, progressed as the season goes along. I'll be curious, though, how this all plays out. So For sure. So moving on from uh, the world of football uh, back to the world of basketball, and we haven't talked a ton about the Detroit Pistons, but uh, one thing that's been fairly consistent is um, I, I would say – and Adam, you've probably been most vocal about this, about thinking that Tom Gores really doesn't care so much. And perhaps we have seen a glimmer of something different. He held a press conference the other day where he's like, okay, we need to reevaluate this whole thing. And it's been a really rough season for the Pistons. Um, they're, what, 12 and something ridiculous. They're 12 and bad. 12 and 23. <laughs> and yet still unwatchable. Only, <laughs> and still only three and a half games out of a playoff spot, which <laughs> just goes to tell you how things are working well, there. the East is absolutely it's horrid. abominable. We talked about it on the last show. There, I mean, one of the reasons the ratings are down as much as they are is because most of the people that watch the NBA are in the East and they're not going to stay up for the West. I'm not. No, I'm not. Right. And and um, and and also the Pistons have had some pretty terrible uh, luck injury wise, which just seems to be a theme in Detroit sports right now. Reggie Jackson's yeah. missed most of the season. Blake Griffin is hurt. Most of the time, Luke Kennard hasn't been playing. And the, you know, uh, Andre Drummond ate avocados and missed a couple games. Um, I mean, so my well, 
my <laughs> my question my question is is Tom Gore serious? What 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 is your guys' take? I I think the yeah, I mean with this report yesterday from uh, Adrian Wojcicki from uh, ESPN uh, that they're definitely looking like at one way or another uh, you know Andre Drummond. Uh, is going to be traded before the end of the year to at least get something back based on him probably uh, not taking the player option going into the 2020-21 season. Sure. Um, and I think as a whole, I mean, when you, when you really think about it, um, the, the, the rest of this particular team will have even less value once Andre Drummond goes. And I think that's where he was really banking on uh, being able to get Blake Griffin healthy and 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 in not so good Eastern Conference to be able to again make it into the playoffs and at least give some sort of picture that there's quote unquote progress being made. Yeah, I think clearly that's what he wanted to do. You know what I'll say, and I I don't think much of Goris. I don't know that he's serious, but I think the single best thing the Pistons can do is trade Drummond. Um, trade Drummond, move on from Jackson at season's end. Yep. Obviously, you're still saddled with the Griffin contract, but between those two guys, you're talking about $40 million. Right. You know, get another high lottery pick. You know, they got the young kid they drafted this year. Maybe he maybe he sneaks into the NBA at the end of this year, early next year. and re- Yeah, and rebuild. Rebuild. I mean, they have been trying this, you know, mediocrity strategy for, you know, five, six years now. It's time to blow it up. I think the, the, the real— I think they have a good coach to blow it up with, too. No, and I, I, I think the real problem, and, and I, I, I wonder how much— Egg Stefanski uh, in the front office, along with Arm Tellum, and uh, of course um, Dwayne Casey, wanted to actually blow this up last year because boy, it would have been a whole lot easier and shorter to blow it up last year. You had a guy like Blake Griffin playing as good as any player, almost top five, top ten MVP in the caliber, NBA, yeah, right? Right. Year, I yeah. mean, and and you could have probably gone out and got a couple of first round draft picks for him, right? And then and then turn around, had you traded Drummond, he would have had way more value with a year and a player option, you know, on his, you know, I mean, th- those are the things. And now, and, and just to be able to bring in the guys that, you know, whether it be Derek Rose, who obviously gutting it out, but you know, before too long, you know, he'll get injured. Um, it's just the, the the question is why didn't this happen last year? And it's very obvious. It was a Tom Gore's initiative, yep. and I think that's where the pain is. Is that to your point, having Dwayne Casey? Yes, that that's a good thing for this franchise. And having Ed Stefanski, who appears to have a pretty good idea how to be a general manager. Yes. It goes a long way of, of potentially, because so far, when you look at Kiku and, and you look at a couple of these small choices, they've done all right based on where they're at yeah. in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that the pairing of Stefanski and Casey is the best pairing of a coach GM in the city. I mean, that doesn't speak to much much depth elsewhere, you know, on the other squads, but, like, <laughs> it gives me hope, and, and I, I think that with the right breaks in the NBA, you can turn a team around pretty quickly with the right amount of draft picks. Yeah. Now, and the Pistons have a lot of money coming off the books. That's what I'm saying, like... It, depending on how a couple things shake out, but if they trade Drummond, uh, Tony Snell has a, a player option for next year, so he's 12 mil, so we'll see, you know... I, I think and in, in the, the the reality too though is when you go back to that scenario to be able to go get picks or or be able to bring on you know uh, um, young contracts the the challenge is is that if you're thinking that you're going to go out in the free agency and and get some sort of big get for this team 
you're you're fooling yourself. And no. that's where I think I think that the, that was the biggest problem with a guy like like Gores is that I don't think he understands the and it's weird because he only goes to see his team in L.A. So yeah, no, no, no. I agree. I don't think they're going to be able to get it through free agency, but cap space makes them agree. very dangerous from a trading standpoint, exactly. right? And that's really where how they're going to build this team. They're going to need picks and they're going to need cap space. Yeah, and and getting rid of Drummond and letting Jackson go will give them those two things. Right, and and they they will finally stop writing. Uh, checks to Smith and yeah. um, <laughs> which we talked I'm about eating Doritos back. somewhere right now. I mean, hey, God, God bless. I right. mean, keep keep eating those uh, Gorditos uh, or right. double Gordita or whatever. He's just uh-huh. chowing down. <laughs> and, and and the other thing that makes him dangerous too is in terms of picking up uh, draft picks. One of the strategies that has been effectively used is you trade a good young player. You get a couple draft picks, and you take on the salary of some ancient veteran who's in the last year of their contract, and you give that other team some cap relief to go do their thing, and you get more for it. You get that extra first round And the other thing that I'm I'm potentially interested in is, um, you know, moving Drummond and basically taking on a reclamation project. So every couple of years, there's a slew of guys that are drafted in the top 12, and a a couple Mm -hmm. of them don't work out. You know, I think about um, the kid out in... um, Sacramento, the kid from Kentucky whose name escapes me, like just kind of monk. Yeah, monk. You know, just somebody that just has got a lot of athletic ability, a lot of talent, but just hasn't been able to kind of land in the league. It's not Thon Maker. It's not, indeed not. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm actually talking about a good player. Thon Maker was never a good player at any level. Um, You know, or uh, even just, you know, a Miles Bridges even, just somebody that just is kind of blah, you know, just kind of blah where he is. and, And I have the confidence that... Ed Stavansky will be able to find that that player and then be able to bring him in to join KC and do a good job. That's where it's like, it's a perfect example of someone not letting their people do their job. And that's where I think the the big frustration here is. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and uh, over the coming I don't know, a couple months, we'll see what happens with the Drummond situation yeah. in particular. I mean, if it, if the rumors are true on Atlanta, that would be a phenomenal trading partner. Sure. They've got talent coming out, young talent coming out of their ears down there. Um, and so that that could be... And by the way, I think it's going to be great for Drummond, too. For sure. He's still a young kid. Yeah. He's like 26. Yeah. He's a good and, ball and, player. And yeah. that, will, that decision will be made before the trade deadline in February 6th. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about something yeah, really that will less be than dealt with within yeah. a month. Or so. right about a month. Yeah. No, that's a good point. So with that said, uh, we'll meander on to another team that's uh, truly uh, not overachieving, and that's the Tigers. Um, and there's no Tiger Fest this year, by the way. Um, they, they said that the we- people complained about the weather. Oh, it was too cold. Detroit in January. Yeah. That is kind of surprising. And, of course, they always did it on auto show weekend. Right. Because now the auto show moves to June, and they say, hey, we're going to move it. Yeah. Can I just interrupt for a second? I'm just fixated <laughs> on why Justin has a, financial, <laughs> has a financial summary of the Cleveland Cavaliers on the screen right now. 
Okay, like, I'm glad that you what, found your microphone. So that's what, good. What <laughs> like what galaxy are you in right now? That you just like stumbled. Like what rabbit hole did you? Because he's getting ready for that, Dan Gilbert that led to did bot. He's getting that ready led you for you to a Cleveland Cavaliers financial statement. <laughs> like, like oh, you know, we're talking about young players, and we're talking about like oh, you want to go look at rosters, see who we might trade for. No, you want to look at a financial statement for another terrible team. He's are getting there, ready. Are, are he, there books in order? I mean, is everything okay? Yeah, he, uh, he's getting ready for. Dan Gilbert to buy the Tigers. <laughs> or it's possible that my employer, we're working on doing business with one of Dan Gilbert's companies, and I want to see how the Cavs are doing, right? Make yeah. sure they're We appreciate your focus on the presentation of this show based on that statement. <laughs> like, I Let's mean, talk about I, the Tigers while I sort through the Cleveland, the yeah. Cleveland Cavaliers financial statement. I am, not even the, not the Atlanta Hawks, not the Detroit Pistons. Not Well, I, I just had the Pistons up. Like, you're just doing pin the tail on the NBA team and you just landed on the Cavaliers? Perhaps. And, and I was I was looking at a comparison uh, at their long-term cap position versus the Pistons. It's much better, yeah. Anyway, uh, where was I? Wow. I, I am very good at what I do. <laughs> yeah, you're very good at something, but we're not going to be able to tell you what that is right here on the air. Because... George Carlin said we can't use those words. Right. So. Yes, that is true. That is true. And the Supreme Court said uh, we agree. So the Tigers, right? Uh, we were talking. So about I was looking them. at the Marlins Double A team. I was looking at their uh, their their attendance and some of their uh, concession sales, and it's not good. Well, they might really not be good, and we haven't talked about this, but. MLB is talking about eliminating about 40 minor league baseball teams. Yep. And that has been quite a bit of rumbling on the uh, the very baseball-centric channels that are out there. Um, I don't want to jump into that right now, but... It's probably a wise idea. <laughs> but <laughs> Talking about an electric 12 minutes, that would be... <laughs> yeah, actually... It would feel like 12 hours, so... <laughs> I think it's actually an important, important talk about because... And I'll just say the one thing, and then we'll get into the Tigers. But the players in minor league baseball generally make sub-living wages and have basically said, look, we're going to unionize, we're going to do whatever it takes so that we can at least make a living wage. And baseball's response to that is, okay, fine, we'll just cut 40 teams and pay everybody else more. And you think about the communities that's going to impact, the players that's going to impact, so on and so forth. And are there too many minor league teams? Yes. However, this response by Major League Baseball is tone deaf and terrible. Yeah. And and that's fair. That that's that. But so let's talk about Lou Whitaker real quick. He did not uh, get enough votes on the I don't know what whatever they call this stupid the committee veterans yeah. committee or whatever. Well, I, is it even the veterans committee now? It's it's like something else yeah. different. They they changed it up. Whatever. It's the remediation of oh we forgot to put this guy in. And once again, and I've been saying this for years, mm-hmm. Lou Whitaker belongs in the Hall of Fame, lock, stock, and barrel. There, and it is absolutely. I I don't even I can't use those words that Mr. Carlin says we can't use. I mean those are the words I want to use. It is stupid it is absolutely stupid particularly when they put harold baines in the hall of fame last year when you when you compare it to that and harold baines was a very fine baseball player he was good he's a good dude lou whitaker way better baseball player didn't get along with the media doesn't get into the hall of fame 
and that completely and utterly invalidates the Hall of Fame. You know, when you look at it like it, that, it's been a slippery slope for the for the Baseball Hall of Fame, in my opinion, since the steroid scandal. It's been yeah. it's it's been degrading. It's been it, the you know the you know because I always had the most respect. Maybe maybe not. Maybe hockey was was always, has got their act together. Mm-hmm. You know, and the NBA and the NFL let anybody in. Um, but I always kind of held up the Baseball Hall of Fame as like the true like like you know you you really had like deep understanding you know the voters had a deep understanding of the players and it was rigorous and they really only let in the best of the best and it just felt like it kind of got broke with the steroid thing and they just didn't know what to do and it became case by case and then they wanted to start putting in not quite as good ball players but there were like quality guys like a Harold Baines who was just a great ambassador for the sport and a heck of a player and it just it got the algorithm got broken and so now there's no consistency to what they're doing with players that getting into the hall and this is where you get a situation like Whitaker, because it's just it's broke. Like the the way that folks get into the Hall of Fame is broke now. Yeah, and I think it's been broken for a bit longer. Perhaps, than Perhaps, yeah. Um, but there was this prevailing theory amongst the voters that their vote was pretty sacred, and they took it seriously. Yes, I mean Hank Aaron did not get a hundred percent on his first ballot, which is 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 absurd, absolutely absurd. Uh, you know, certainly in the top five baseball players in all time. Uh, and that's absurd. Yeah. And, and 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 now what on earth is going on? And what are what are the metrics that we're measuring this by? I mean, if you compare Lou Whitaker's statistics to anybody else in the Hall of Fame short of of Onus Wagner or whatever, I mean, it, 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 his numbers are right there. They, I, right especially there? at that position. I I think it well, comes, and that's what I mean, yeah, yeah. for sure. It, it's the press in general being beyond reproach, uh, you know, and and that's happening across many areas in this country today. I mean, there was a uh, quite a conversation yesterday about Lamar Jackson not being a unanimous All-Pro player and uh, people wanting to know who um, uh, was not, uh, you know, voting for him. And again, those things are not disclosed. Um, ballots in general are not disclosed as far as I know. I don't know if that's the case with the Hall of Fame to be uh, for baseball uh, per se. But, um, I, I, you know, it, it could broke. Yeah, it is broke because, you know what, uh, the, there's a complete disconnect between um, the, uh, the evaluation of Hall of Fame players and really being uh, no consistency across the board. And, of course, you go into the whole, well, you know, he's a second, you know, ballot Hall of Fame versus a first ballot. People, 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 people. But get, get out of my way. It, it's a yes or no. It's not yeah. a first ballot, second ballot, venture ballot. You you either are or you aren't. And just Agreed. based on that Agreed. by itself, you, you know that the system is broken and the and the high and mighty baseball writers that are involved need to go away and there needs to be a complete reevaluation of Cooperstown and what the entrance looks like. No question. And do you think do you think that whenever Robinson Cano retires, which isn't gonna be super long from now, um although it might be, although he's had, you know, injury issues and what have you, do you think he's gonna make the Hall of Fame? Maybe. I think the steroid thing will hurt him. Really? He got busted for, you know, Mm -hmm. performance-enhancing drugs. What was it, two years ago, last year? Yeah, interesting. I I don't know, maybe. I think the one thing he's going to have going for him is where he started his career. Yeah. No, I I think with him being a Yankee, I I think think Big home run numbers. They'll they'll, they'll forget about that. Absolutely. Whitaker has posted better career numbers than Cano at this point. 
you know, and and now Cano still got some years left in him, so maybe they'll be better. But it, again, I'm, I'm even just like trying better power numbers. Not power. Okay. Certainly not power numbers. But but, but I mean that's that's the kind of thing. Who he's cares gonna be, about power numbers? They do. He's gonna he's gonna have what 300, 350, 400 I, home runs. Cano. I think um, when yeah, played for the Yankees, he's gonna have yeah. several championships. You know, I mean it's and and really, I I, I always go back. I'm not saying I agree with that. I I'm talk about Hall of Fame baseball. Especially baseball, but I think it's relevant across all the sports. Is the fact that I go back to the classic Keith Olbermann discussion when, and I mean this was back when we were in college, Justin. Yeah. Is the fact that he was big on focusing on are you the best in the era era that you played in, and that's where the Hall of Famer is, and that's that's the True. discussion, and I totally agree with that approach above anything else and i'm fine with that approach for sure and so then i i mean that just bolsters whatever's case exactly yeah. i mean who, who were the guys he was playing with at that time yeah. rhino you know i mean right who's in the hall of fame right yeah and again a couple, other, couple other better numbers than than uh, sandberg uh he was playing with bobby gritch who is also not in the hall of fame who should absolutely player, be in the yeah. hall of fame uh, okay who were the willie randolph and, and, and you can make him. that comparison to a guy like Ozzy Smith, right? Where Ozzy sure. Smith, you know, he is in the Hall of Fame because uh, he was, a, you know, obviously a, a highlight real fielder. Uh, he could do somersault, you know, somersaults and whatever, and <laughs> that was big, you know. It's and true. He was on the, uh, Everybody can bench. do a somersault. It's just how pretty <laughs> is it? I can do a somersault. It's just not going to be. Pretty. I don't want to see that. I don't. I don't want to see that. So uh, roll before, down the hill. I was going to say. The, uh, or, never mind. Mm. I mean, we can we can uh, get a, a webcam and uh, film you trying to do somersaults. I just want Crinton Hospital on staff <laughs> here <laughs> to make sure that if something happens. So um, I don't want to leave without um, a little CJ Crone. Can I get just really quick on Ozzy Smith? Because I do because his name's brought up a lot. And statistically, I understand the art, the case about Ozzy Smith, especially when we're talking about Trammell. Um, but just I mean. This is part of the intangibles of something like the Hall of Fame. He was an exceptional defender. He was like, he just had that flair, and that is a part. That is a part of the intangibles. Like, I liken it to like Deion Sanders. Like, there was just something about him on the field that changed the nature and the interest of the game, and that's worth consideration. But but agreed. His fielding percentage is not dramatically different than Alan Trammell, though. But I'm, and, and the problem with Alan Trammell was Alan Trammell was a really, really, really solid fielder. I mean, a really good, actually, was, fielder. Yeah. And the problem was, was he was so boring to watch because he was so methodical. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, the effect that a player has on the interest that they draw on the game people, of baseball. Like, it's a part of the intangibles. Correct. And, 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 Ozzie Smith's numbers compare very well with other Hall of Fame shortstops. Yeah. He belongs in the Hall of Fame, no question about it. My argument always was, how does he belong and not Trammell? And I agree. And that was definitely true. So we got like two minutes, so let's get to C.J. Cron and um, Shoop. Uh, scope, scope. Actually. Shoop. Shoop. And, and I thought Shoop. it was very interesting. I saw a quick nice. uh, note yesterday Famous that Yaisel Puig, there were, uh, uh, the Tigers yeah. were in the Bay of Peaks. but unfortunately, what? The Bay of Peaks? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was very, uh, again, they can't 
agree on on a length of a contract yeah. for the Tigers, which I, I tell you what, even from the last show, the expectation this team would do absolutely nothing at the winter meeting. Of course, these did not happen at the winter meetings, but I was shocked. It, they signed it, both it, of them. It, it, it was actually uh and and to see Puig is a possible another addition Stunned. is really notable to a team that either that was their plan or they've really heard a lot of backlash from the press and the local fan base to go, we cannot put up with another year like last year. And I would say for sure that is the primary driving factor because the team is not going to be super competitive this year. Uh, they weren't planning on the team to be super competitive. They, this is another rebuilding year. The best of their minor league talent is not going to be ready this year, um, although they need to start making more progress, no question, and that we can talk about as the year goes on. Um, but, uh, yeah, they've absolutely heard that people are fed up. It wasn't and a viable product last year. It, it wasn't. It was It was statistically the worst team of the decade uh, in baseball. Yeah. And I, I, 538 wow. just put out their numbers for that. They were awful. And and they can't make th- this can't continue. They're gonna drive everybody away. By exactly. the time all these young kids get here, nobody's gonna be in the stands to watch them. And so both of those contracts were outstanding signings. Great, great value here. Yeah. yeah, great value for those guys who should put up very solid numbers and be trade, um, you know, good trade chips come especially Kron. Uh, yeah, come that time of the year. So and Puig, it'll be interesting to see. He wants a four-year deal. Tigers are not willing to. Uh, I give him two. I'd, I'd overpay him and give him two. Yeah, but uh, so it'll be interesting to see what comes I, with that. I don't know how much of of Yasvel Puig and his locker room, uh, uh, you know, clubhouse too. demeanor, no, fair, yeah. and and I think you know giving him two. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. You know that's where you're at, um, and I think with a guy like Ryan Gardenhire being his manager, I think that that's actually a, a my not final a bad point move. is this is this is now going to be kind of a little bit of put up or shut up for Candelario. And even for a little bit for Stewart, because now they have protection 100%. in that lineup, and they did not last year. Hundred percent true. Yeah, it, this is Candelario's last opportunity. Yeah, he's he's got to make it work. Stewart has a little more time. So with that said, I'm actually not sure when we're going to be on next because I am not available in two Saturdays. I will be uh, oh, doing work things. So we'll have to figure out when we're going to be on again. But uh, you can check out the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium on Facebook. So three weeks, you're saying, Adam? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So we'll uh, we'll plan on uh, three weeks from today. With thanks to Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee, my name's Justin Lee. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. <laughs>